spanning the Valley of the Sun and all across the 48th state. This is the Gatos and Chad Show. Happy, 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 happy Thursday. Happy Thursday, everybody. My goodness, we have had a lot to talk about today. Uh, and one of the issues that we've been discussing throughout the week is trying to put a spotlight on what Scottsdale did, turning the water off on Rio Verde foothills. Yeah. And, you know, right around this time, last couple of days, we talked to a resident of Rio Verde. And we're saying, listen, what do you have to do now that you don't have any water coming into your house? Uh, and also, we figured out, you know, the mayor of Scottsdale is playing a big role here by doing nothing. Well, he did do one thing. He shut the water off with no solution. Um Listen to what this one resident told us yesterday from Rio Verde. Taking showers, not every day. Uh, doing laundry sparingly, you know. I could be wearing a, a turtleneck with, you know, swim trunks pretty soon. So depending on, you know, what our clothes situation is like, I've only done about a load of laundry in, you know, a few weeks here. Um, well, really, you know, the paper plates comment. I mean, we went to Costco, loaded up on paper plates, paper cups, uh, you know, silverware and things of that nature. So we're not running the dishwasher. Uh, you know, brutally honest, if it's a number one, you you let it mellow. And number two, you flush it. So that's oh, kind of what we've been doing. Oh, By goodness. the way, uh, swim trunks is not a bad thing to wear. I wear that work every once in a while. I understand that, but not flushing the toilet. Okay, so um, that was Joe McHugh. We talked to him yesterday. We're trying to find out what happened with Scottsdale. And we know that Scottsdale and the mayor there, Ortega, warned that they were going to be doing this. But it sounds to us like solutions were put in front of him. Okay, they were put in front of him and he rejected everything and basically turned his back on Rio Verde. So earlier today, we spoke to Tom Galvin. He's from Maricopa County Board of Supervisors. Mayor Ortega, the Scottsdale mayor, has blamed them, said, listen, it's your problem. Uh, Listen to what Galvin had to say. And wait until you, you you hear him use the word sadistic. That puts a whole different spin on this issue. Makes it very personal. It does. So here's Tom Galvin, Maricopa County Board of Supervisors. And I asked uh, this uh, question. Uh, Mayor of uh, Scottsdale says it's your fault. What do you think? <laughs> well, I'd love to know why he thinks it's my fault. Because uh, if the question is who decided to cut off the water, it was David Ortega. If the question was who created this artificial deadline of December 31, 2022, it was David Ortega. But if it was who found the alternative solution for Scottsdale no longer providing water, that was me. Um, I came up with the uh, solution last summer and uh, presented to the city of Scottsdale, presented it to David Ortega. Um, this is a plan that the private water company, Epcor, would deliver water to the Rio Verde Foothills residents and then would pay the city of Scottsdale for that service because that's the only pipe that goes out there. Hmm. And the Corporation Commission is a statewide elected body. There's five members of that body, bipartisan group, Republican, Democrat, doesn't matter. They opened up a docket last fall. Same thing, allowed Epcor to come in and file an application. The only final piece that had to be done was for David Ortega to sign the dotted line to allow his city to make money off of this proposal that I made, and he's blocking it, and he won't tell anyone why. Well, why do you think yeah, he's that's, blocking Let's it. get yeah. to the real here. The, why? There's got to be who who did something to somebody, mm. and why did that all of a sudden get taken in such a way? Well, I'll show you. Well, I'm not going to speak on his behalf, but I'm going to tell you, because I'm trying to look forward, if there's a problem, people who serve in elected office should be working together to solve that problem. And I have to say that on a bipartisan basis, where they're working people at Maricopa County, 
Attorney, at the Corporation Commission, um, private stakeholders like EPCOR who volunteered and stepped up and said, hey, we'll give these folks water. And frankly, a few Scottsdale City Council members who said, yeah, fine by us. Um, but no one can get inside the head of a guy who right before the deadline was taunting folks and said, I'm not going to be Santa Claus. That That is his word. Uh, he and I were both interviewed on CBS Nationwide National News back in October. And the reporter asked him, he said, what's going on here? And he goes, not my problem. That is a quote. Um, and unfortunately, I think this is a black eye for Scottsdale, especially on the eve of the Super Bowl. We, you know, it's amazing how Arizona politicians just have a knack for giving Arizona black eye. Uh, it was on page A1 of the New York Times on Tuesday. Yeah. It was on the Washington Post over the weekend. Yesterday, I saw it on the BBC. Absolutely ridiculous. You know, I, I worked in the private sector. I've only been a supervisor for one year. But when you work in business, you have a fiduciary duty to your company and to your shareholders. And I see it the same way um, as a government official. We have a fiduciary duty to our taxpayers. And why is David Ortega rejecting a deal that his city could make money off of and gets him off the hook of delivering water to these folks. It just makes absolutely no sense. All right, we're talking about how Scottsdale's cut off the water to a neighboring town, and Tom Galvin is joining us over at the Maricopa County Board of Supervisors. What's the solution now? Because we've talked to a couple different residents, and it's just, we're going to try and conserve water. It's like APS shutting down the air conditioning in parts of, of Arizona during the summer, which, by the way, they don't do. Uh, so what is the solution like this very second because you know you came up with a solution that sounded pretty good to me and they could have went yeah. along with it but it looks yeah. like it looks like there's no long-term solution what is the, what's the short-term solution to get these folks water the long-term solution is that epcor has filed an application the corporation commission's working on it but that's going to take a couple of years because this deadline was announced only 13 months before it got imposed and there's only so much you can do right right but this interim solution is what i propose is, is where we are in this situation and so um, you know, no pun intended, but you can't you can you can bring a horse to water, but you can't make him drink it. It's just the pressure that has to be brought to bear on David Ortega. As a county supervisor, I actually represent all of Scottsdale, and I represent the Rio Verde foothills. So what I've tried to do is a balancing act here and try to figure out what's a win-win for both communities. I represent Scottsdale. I'm not trying to go against the city of Scottsdale here. In fact, no one argued, not even the folks at Rio Verde foothills, argued against the city of Scottsdale cutting off the water. They just told the city, hey, we found an alternative source. You know, let us have it. And so now he's provided that stumbling block. Now, uh, you've heard in the news that a lot of these folks have now sued the city. That's unfortunate. He's rejecting a deal where the city would make money, but now he's caught a lawsuit. Um, you have people now having to go to Fountain Hills, to Peoria, to other areas to find water. Water is a vital resource. You still need water to drink, to take a shower, to feed your children, to feed your elderly parents. That's what I'm concerned about, guys, is an impending disaster. What if, God forbid, there's a fire? or people lose their lives, or these families run out of water at the end of the month because they're able to fill up in December 31. For what? For what? For no reason to play some sort of game of chicken or to be sadistic or to play politics. And you cannot play politics with people's lives, especially when it comes to water and especially when it comes to water in Arizona. All right. That's a portion of our interview with uh, Tom Galvin over at Maricopa County Board of Supervisors. Uh, Scottsdale, uh, you know, says no more water for Rio Verde. And 
Galvin said, listen, I came up with solutions. And this man in Scottsdale who runs it, the mayor, Ortega, doesn't want to do it. It's almost, it, and the word sadistic there at the end. Yeah, that was a little like, whoa. Now, we've not heard from him. We've offered him numerous the opportunities, the mayor, to come on here. We're still up tomorrow. And, and we'll see what happens. Right. And there may be a situation now where, because there's lawsuits, they're like, dude, you're not going to talk to anybody. And that's understandable. Good lawyers will tell you, uh, you know, no, just be quiet now. Uh, let it work out. But something, I just feel something personal happened here. Well, or he owns porter potty business right. or a bunch of land out there. Right. And he doesn't want people to live out there. So he shut the water down. I don't know either. But maybe that hurts the maybe people moving out there hurts the value of other people in and around there in the Scottsdale area. And what you're going to do is shut the water off. So that's pretty well and shutting the water off. Not so it's not about shutting the water off to the people that live there now. Maybe it's about shutting the water off, giving everybody the signal that in the future, uh, they've already said this, what, 2024, new housing, when they split those things off, you're not going to get water. You have to do everything yourself. All right. Coming up right now, it is time for Five Spot, where we put you on the spot about a news everybody's talking about. Uh, yesterday, we heard from uh, Superintendent of Public Construction, Tom Horn, and his take on why uh, kids who are Latino, uh, they're falling behind in school. He says they don't speak English. Here's what we want to do. Call us if you're a Latino parent. At one time or another, did your kid fall behind in school? Struggle. Tell us the reason. I doubt it's what Tom Horn said. 602-277-5827. Call us if you're a Latino parent. Uh, why do you think Latino kids are falling behind in school? What was your child's story or story right now? Maybe in the past, maybe it is happening. Uh, if you're a Latino parent, 277-KTAR. Five Spot is next. And Chad. Brought to you by Parker and Sons. Heating, cooling, plumbing, and electrical. A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. All right, five spot. We put you on the spot about a news story everybody's talking about. Our own Griselda Santino sat down with uh, Tom Horn, superintendent of public instruction, and asked... Latino students now make up uh, about half of our K-12 through population, and yet they lag behind their peers when it comes to reading, math, even you know going on to college, graduating from college. What do you plan to do to close this achievement gap? Yes, I, I, I spent a lot of time on this last time I was superintendent, um, and the, the biggest problem are students who arrive not speaking English. Okay. We talked about this yesterday. Uh, I, I'm sure that there are some students who don't speak English, uh, but it sounds like he thinks the majority of Latino students uh, don't know a single word of English. And that's his reasoning for why they're struggling. Uh, it was kind of a blanket um, yeah, uh, I don't. Opinion. Uh, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Uh, th- you, you should offer several reasons yeah. why, but that was right. the one he went to yeah. first. They just came over the border five minutes ago. Yeah. How do you? I mean, that's what uh, he's saying. So what we wanted to do was call us if you're Latino. Maybe you had a kid falling behind in school. Why? Let's find out. All right, let's start with uh, Mark in Glendale. All right, Mark, you're up first. Uh, if your kid fell behind school, why? Yeah, basically, uh, my oldest, 17, we're from Mexico, from Morelia, Michoacan, and uh, our daughter, 17-year-old, is uh, falling behind still, and our 13-year-old, and that's because uh, mom's got to work, I got to work, we work long hours, to you know, just to make our meet our uh, meet ends here, because rent's high, 
food, gas, everything, and we're not there to support them to help them out and, you know, give them uh, anything we can to support them through school. And there's times where we can't take them to school because we're at work when it rains and stuff, so they get behind. And it's, it's been affecting, you know, all of us here. And, and I think that's one of the reasons, not because they don't know so much English, it's just that my kids were born here, but that's one of the main factors what's going on. Um, we're just not there to help them out. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I've said this Appreciate before that, on the show. Uh, my mom, God bless her, if she wasn't there to watch over me every second of the day and step on my neck and make me study. You wouldn't have been the C student you I are. I would not have been the C plus student. But again, the, you know, that's what she did for me. And we joked C plus student. But again, that's really what she did for me. And I, I, I wouldn't have done it by myself. And she was there. Uh, to do that, and not everybody can do that. No, not no, everybody sure. is fortunate enough to do that. All right, Latinos, why your child is struggling next? Rodrigo in Avondale, why is your child struggling in school? No, I don't feel that my kids are struggling in school. My parents were first generation Mexican here, and then I'm their kids. I never took any classes in Spanish. I only speak to my kids in Spanish. All their English they learn is TV, radio when they listen to music. Pretty much, we're, we're Spanish-speaking homes, but they speak better English than me. And I was born and raised here in Arizona. All right. My parents are Mexican. So, all right. All right. Appreciate that, my man. Thanks so much. Uh, five spot. Let's go with Debbie in Phoenix. Debbie, why are your children falling behind? So, I, I, I can't say that she's falling behind. Um, what I have to share is... The reversal of what we see here in Arizona, we're in an English-speaking family, and we took her to Mexico where people only spoke Spanish. She didn't know any Spanish. She started school there. She learned the language within six months. The education is more advanced there, first of all. And also, um, when it came time for her to advance to the next grade, and I checked in with her teachers and said, is she okay to go to the next grade? She's not fully fluent in Spanish yet. And teachers said, she's ready for the next grade. That's true. She needs to catch up more on her on the language, but it's not holding her back. All right. So I disagree. I don't think the language is what ho- is holding the, the kids back. All right. All right. Appreciate your call. Thanks right. so much. That's five spot. We've run out of time. It's a very interesting situation that we're talking about. A very interesting issue. We're going to bring it back up later in the show. Uh, if Latino kids are struggling, what is the real reason? Horn thinks they don't speak English. I don't think that's the case. There are many, many other uh, reasons we can point to. Are you getting a good meal? Before you go to school, so you are awake and alert and thinking, you know, um, properly. Uh, our, our first caller, if it rains, we can't get our kid to school. That has nothing to do with speaking English. Nothing. But we have to ask the question. There's a lot of questions going on this. Why do Asian kids get to stay home or they don't go? Do white kids right. or black kids? Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of things that go into this. It's not just the the Hispanics. We need to ask a serious question. Why are they falling behind? Up next, what's the debt ceiling and why is it important? Chad's got the issue. He's ready to talk about it next. It's the Gatos and Chad Show. 
Hey, if you have the oldest AC, you can win a brand new high-efficiency AC with an air purifier courtesy of Day and Night Air Conditioning. Text the word DAY to 411923 to enter now. Message and data rates may apply. The debt ceiling. Don't freak out, people. We've hit it. Right? So we we hit it. We're, we're still fine. They're going to do extraordinary measures that will keep us alive uh, always, by the way. Oh, yes. Have my hand up. Okay. This is one of those things that comes out of D.C., mm-hmm. and I usually ignore it. Because I've heard of it before. I know it happens. And you're telling me, you were telling me off the air, better listen to this one. Yeah. All right. Tell me why. The debt ceiling, this is what it is. This is money that we can borrow. We know how much money we have coming in and going out. Uh And we have more money going out than we've already brought in. So we have to raise the ceiling, meaning we have to borrow to cover. Right. And we've done that before. We do 49 times for the Republicans, 29 times for the Democrats who are in charge. This is not anything new. Okay. The difference here is we've got those 15 or 20 who do a Freedom Caucus the, the Andy Biggs of the world, who, by the way, Andy Biggs, in his one consistency, has been a deficit hawk, and I appreciate that, meaning he doesn't want us to do this kind of weird borrowing all the time, and rightfully so. I mean, all the craziness aside, yeah. some talk about, and but these these guys and gals have already said, we are not going to give in in any way, shape, or form in the meaning White House. what? They're not going to raise the ceiling. They're not going to raise and the ceiling. And then what happens if they don't raise the debt ceiling? We eventually, after the two extraordinary things where they push it out to April and then uh-huh. they push it out till August, September, uh, we would default on our, our, okay. our debt. And if your Andy Biggs, doesn't that hurt the United States of America? Uh, yes. Okay, yes, then could why? potentially. Here's is he doing it to blame Biden? No, no, no. Okay. The, the, he, it doesn't matter who this is. He was a deficit hawk when Trump was in office. It doesn't matter who's in office. There are several people that are always fiscally responsible. And there's nothing wrong with being no, fiscally we should responsible. Because be. here's the thing. Yeah. This money we're borrowing, we're not paying it back. Uh-huh. Our kids are paying it back. Right. Our grandkids are paying it back. And we have to find out where we can have cuts. Where can we actually address some issues? And by the way, cuts doesn't mean, uh, oh, what is it, two-thirds of our spending is entitlements. So Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security. Social Security is going bankrupt. And everybody knows it, but you can't talk about it. So you're just going to, you know. Everybody worries about it and says it won't be there when I need it. But then in the back of your mind, it's like, well, they'll probably fix it. So it will be there. But, but I who's going to fix it? Because I to fix know. it, you have to address the problem. Right. And so much of the problem isn't, okay, if we still spend the same, it's. No, we can spend less in a lot of ways, but we can cut the waste. And so this is when you start to negotiate, and that's what's going to happen. You've got powerful senators, though, I think, on the Republican side, the John Kennedys and stuff. And even today, uh, you had a couple like Mitch McConnell come out. It was like, ah, oh, you know, these guys and gals say they're going to not do this. I'm not really worried. Knowing full well, he goes, I will crush their souls if they try to, you know, default on this loan. But we do need to get serious about it. And much like Cinema and Mansion, who made sure that there wasn't they weren't going to get rid of the filibuster, you saw the power they have. Uh-huh. You've got twenty of these, fifteen or twenty, that are willing to ride this out. And the other great thing about the fight, if there's going to be one, this is good because I love the negotiation. Is it only takes one of them to go? We want to get rid of Kevin McCarthy. And Kevin McCarthy promised them so much. And the Republicans who are just regular old conservatives, they're like, you can't give him that and, and us this. So it's going to be a fight that's real and not the usual. They argue, but behind closed doors, they go and cheer like they did something big when they pass. The, the, the question I ask all the time on the air, no matter what we're talking about, 
How does this affect me? How does it affect a family? How does it affect the everyday American? Or is this just some noise in Washington? They're going to yell at each other, and then somehow they're going to fix it. it so is, how does it affect it, it me? It affects us because it's going to hurt our, our, our borrowing. It's going to hurt taxpayers down the road sooner rather than later when it comes to what our rates are going to be. This is not a good situation for us to be in. And whose fault is it? Uh, well, it's the fault of all these people in both the, the, the House and the Senate and many years of just overspending on things that we didn't need to do uh, and and continually doing that and borrowing against. We can have record revenues. We'll find a way to outspend ourselves. Economists are warning the nation uh, uh, is risking a financial crisis um, because of what we just discussed, the debt ceiling, why it's important, how it affects you. We'll continue to watch it. And the battle that's going to come between the Republicans and the Republicans. All right, coming up next. Coming up! Is our new governor pulling the same stunt with migrants that our old governor was? Next. The Gatos and Chad Show. Afternoons. Hey, guess what? We got a podcast. It is awesome. It's amazing. It's called the Gatos and Chad Show Podcast. You can listen to it right now. Well, maybe you listen to, you missed an hour, but you want to make it up. You can subscribe. Your iPhone, your Android, whatever it is. The Gatos and Chad Show Podcast. Never miss any of the action. Uh, brought to you by Carol Royce, Keller Williams Realty, East Valley. Get a higher price selling your home. Go to get, get ready for this. Higher offers? Yeah, absolutely. Guaranteed offers? Absolutely. Higherprice.com? Higherprice.com. Okay, remember when uh, Katie Hobbs criticized Doug Ducey for the busing of migrants? I do. Okay, she's oh, still do. doing it. Now, listen, I know that it, she's new at the job, right? Yes. Just became governor in for, you know, just a few weeks. But I find it interesting that she hasn't stopped the busing effort. So let's go back and talk about it. Uh, when Ducey was the governor, he decided, I'm going to put migrants on a bus and we're going to pick a place to drop them off. Yes. Could it be Chicago? Yes. Could it be New York City? Yes. Was it Washington, D.C.? Yes. Okay. Liberal sanctuary cities that scream and yell how liberal and sanctuary they are and that if you were there, you would have nothing to worry about knowing they didn't have a lot. And if you don't know what a sanctuary city is, just think of it this way. Uh, if you are undocumented and here illegally, uh, nothing's really going to happen to you. And even if you were in trouble, they're not going to turn you over to the feds to be deported. Safe place for you to land. Yes. Okay. But since she was sworn in, I think, what, you know, early of in, in the year, yeah. she is still doing this. Okay. So why? Because if it was such a bad plan under Doug Ducey, why would you cons- why would you continue a plan that, that you criticized before? Here's the statement from Governor Hobbs. Um, Whereas the Doug Ducey administration was using migrant men, women, and children as political pawns and wasting tax- taxpayer dollars by forcing them on buses for days at a time to cities they didn't want to go to. I'm not sure all that can be proven, but... Anyway, the Hobbs administration is treating these migrants humanely. Instead, we are sending them to cities they actually need to go to and be connected with their sponsors. And we're doing it in a more cost effective way by looking at all travel options, not just buses. Okay, how else do you get there? Are we buying them plane tickets? Is a plane ticket cheaper than getting a bus and driving migrants from one place to another? I don't know. Are we putting people on trains? I don't know, but the Hobbs administration says it's cost effective. It seems to me they're just trying to do it in a much, I don't know, well, they're more saying PC it's a, way. The, the, yeah, well, they're saying 
If you're sending them to nearly the same place, unless you're delivering them to the city of destination they want to go. So you sending them on a bus on a Greyhound, are you sending them to Lincoln, Nebraska? Are you sending them to to Boise? Uh, uh, it sounds like it. They're not just dropping them in New York or Chicago. They're they're individually. Tra- How's that more cost effective? We're a travel agent now. Is yeah. the governor's office a travel agent now? I mean, because that's what it sounds like. Are they getting money from the feds to do this? Because the feds, you know, they have fed airlines where they fly them around. We've heard about it a hundred times that, you know, in Yuma, here in, in Tucson and in Phoenix at Sky Harbor, where they have unmarked planes and they'll fly people to different parts of the country. You know, they're going to go to the East Coast, West Coast. It's that's not that's happened for decades. Right. OK, well, talk about what's happened for decades. We have always put people on a bus we've always put people on a plane we've always put migrants up in hotels yes we've done this forever okay so what did doug Ducey do that was different he got a whole bus and put a whole lot of people on it and went to one specific place that was really the difference and if you want to call it a stunt fine uh i think Ducey was better than what desantis did I think what Ducey did it was more humane uh, than what Abbott did. Abbott in Texas had dropped uh, off a whole bunch of people in the middle of the night on Christmas uh, at the doorstep of, of our vice president. And you're not, you're not helping anybody by doing that. Uh, I think that is using people as pawns. Um, I don't think Ducey was as, as reckless or ugly no, uh, as, as the other two governors. But again, when you are now a governor, Hobbs, who criticized Ducey's busing effort, you're still doing the same thing. Just calling it something different. And and I think the frustration that's coming from some people is the amount of outrage that we heard from the media on Ducey compared to what's going on here and the coverage, it seems a little unbalanced. And I think that that's where a lot of frustration comes in from a lot of people. Uh, what what is Hobbs doing differently than Ducey? Well, is, is we don't Hobbs, even really know what they're doing. That's, okay, that's part of the problem. But is she going out of her way to make sure that each individual migrant goes to a specific place in the United States, whereas Ducey took a whole busload of people and just dropped them in New York I City? I have no idea. Yeah. And don't tell me it's cheaper if you're giving them individual rides. I don't know if it's cheaper. <laughs> it doesn't sound cheaper to me. Yeah, you know. So uh, I, I I I don't know. See, that's just it. We also don't know a lot about what's going on. It's very quiet, but I don't see a lot of people investigating if this is still really going on. What did we hear about it in the Daily Wire? Yeah, but, I mean, uh, the Hobbs administration is basically saying, yeah, we're still doing it. But we're just doing it in a different way. That, what does that I, even mean? Well, I didn't even know they were still doing it. I guess I just assumed they weren't doing it. But they what stopped is, it. I'm doing it in a different way. Uh, like that, that. According to them? Yes. More humanely. What does that mean? I don't know. I mean, uh, was it was uh, yeah, inhumane to put somebody in a bus? I, I, what, what she's saying in her statement is... Uh, we're actually telling the migrants where they're going as, you know, she she's kind of bagging on Ducey saying that they put the migrants on a bus. They had no idea. And by the way, she says that they were forced onto a bus. Now, I don't know that, I don't that know to, that be, to be true. true either. I mean, how many lawsuits have come out there and how many have been? I mean, these are all, like, where's all that proof? That's what I'm asking. I don't think there's proof that Ducey forced anyone on a bus. But I also wouldn't put it past them. No. I don't know. And I don't know this is more humane or what's going on here. I don't know that I, either. You're, you're telling me it doesn't make itself. I think the bottom line is a lot of people probably were wondering, are we still doing it? Are we putting people on buses who are migrants? The answer is yes. And you saying it's more humane doesn't make it so. All right, coming up, we've got the 5 o'clock KTAR News Expansion. Just a moment with Becky Lynn.